All right. So the reading plan was called Challenges of Holding Fast. Challenges of Holding Fast. So we've been talking about this idea that Jesus is greater. And again, we've done this whole thing again to these Hebrew people that are being told that this Jesus is the Messiah. If he is the Messiah and he has done what he is supposed to be doing, then he is greater than the covenant that defined the Jewish people. He's greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than, again, the covenant that they were a part of, and it's uh, and, in, and better than the priests. And so this has been a long story. And again, what I love about Hebrews is that we as Gentiles get to look in and watch what would happen to a people group that the very core of who they are and what they're about is being transformed. And again, the writer is trying to say, listen, you're stepping up. You're moving into something better, something greater. You're not stepping down. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus is the greater high priest. He brings a better covenant. He's greater than Moses. And he's building this case. And then we get to chapter 10. Now, the beginning of it is going to be a little bit of a... Of, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 is kind of a really kind of a recap of what we just learned. So let's look at this. This is uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. That is a mouthful sentence. Let me read it to you again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never... By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So listen, it's not, it's a shadow, it's a copy, it's not the fulfillment. So therefore, it's never going to be able to do what the realities in heaven can do. And the yearly stuff is never going to do because, again, what it's based on is the sacrifice of an animal is never going to be as great as the sacrifice of Christ himself. And that's where he starts off. Verse 2, otherwise will they not have ceased to be offered. If the sacrifices made over the years could have done what those could have done that, could have taken care of all the sin, then you would have had no need. You just would have stopped. They would have been ceased to be offered. The worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. So again, if that animal sacrifice could have done everything it could, it would have stopped because, I, okay, good, I'm done. The animal was uh, sacrificed. I'm good. I can move on. But look what happens in verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So again, the system that the Jews were brought up in, as I've explained, is, is basically this concept that the sins could just get rolled back, rolled back, roll back to some date in which they finally get taken care of. And that date came in the person of Jesus Christ. Now for time, I'm going to skip over uh, verses 4 through 9. But if you read through those, please read through this. It's just talking about the fact that Jesus said, look, it really wasn't burnt offerings and sacrifices that I wanted. What I really wanted was your heart. It wasn't about bulls. It wasn't about goats. And it wasn't about any of those things. It was about your heart. And that's what's talked about through 4 through 9. But in verse 10, it says this. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ's body once for all. What he was able to do was because of his perfection, because of the fact that he was sinless, 
because of how God had brought his son to the earth and allowed him to be sacrifices, that death paid it all done. No more need. No more need for a yearly sacrifice. No more need for this. It took care of all the sin past and all the sin future. And that's what we hang on. And that is what the writer is trying to tell these Hebrew people. I know you have the temple. I know you have the system. I know this is ritual. But your ritual is not as great. Your ritual is not as great as the answer. Let me say that to you again. The ritual is not as great as the answer. If the dancing around and doing all these other things is fine, but if you get the answer, there's no need to keep doing all of the other things, which is why we do not have sacrifice even today in the Jewish people. Trust me, not on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem are they sacrificing animals. Are they going through this process? They're not. So here's where we go in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service of offering, repeatedly, repeating, sorry, repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, raises, sits at the right hand of God. Verse 13, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Isn't that an amazing picture? His enemies become a footstool where he props his feet up and watches what happens. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The beauty of the cross, the beauty of the cross is this idea that on that cross, once and for all, it's done. It accomplished. It accomplished what needed to be done. And so we hold to the cross. And, and we put our hope in the cross. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, um, witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their minds and write them on, uh, uh, sorry, put their hearts, laws on their minds and write them on, hold on. I should get, I know. I got 39 passages. I'm trying to get through this. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Now listen, that doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but it is. Up to this point, the law was written down and had to be, for the most part, memorized. Every, by the way, we know about bar mitzvahs or about mitzvahs, right? You would read the Torah. You would try to understand the law. You would go through all the things. You would, you would try to grasp it because that was the written law. And what you were trying to do is get this written thing into you and live by what was written there. And God goes, no, no, no. What's going to happen is when my, you accept me, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you and begins to speak to your heart. Folks, I have watched it happen again and again and again. My favorite story of that was a guy that came to Christ um, and to say that he was rough was an understatement. 
And he was the one, I've shared this before, that we were in a circle praying, and he prayed for the first time and dropped F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb as he prayed. By the way, speaking in what I call his native tongue. Does that make sense? And he's just, and, and the rest of the group are all standing there. The ones holding his hands are not squeezing, but the rest of us are squeezing for dear life, going, wow. But I believe in my heart, God heard that prayer. But this is what I watched happen. A guy who, by the way, would have no problem saying all those words came to me probably about within about a month. Started going, hey, Jeff, a weird thing is happening. When I use those words, it kind of hurts my heart. A guy who would, by the way, never thought once about those words. All of a sudden goes, they kind of hurt my heart. And he goes, what is that? Holy Spirit. No one had told him that he shouldn't say those words. We didn't come beside him and say, hey, you're wrong for doing that. All of a sudden, he found in himself something was changing inside of him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit starts speaking. And I believe that when many of you came to Christ, things that you maybe never worried about or thought of all of a sudden started coming to mind. And things that maybe you thought were, I mean, I'd figured that out and that's done with. All of a sudden, God brought back to your conscience and had you think about it again. That's the Holy Spirit. And again, to watch people come to me and say to them, hey, I was talking to somebody and I have no idea where these words came from, but I shared with them the gospel. Have you ever had that experience? You're like, I don't know where those words came from, but God, let me share the gospel. Because that's what he's talking about in this passage. Verse 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Someone say amen to that. I will remember, I, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Folks, I don't have behind me my big trail of sins that God goes, look at all those things. Because of Christ, they're gone. They're gone. And I don't carry the baggage of that. We carry the baggage of that. He does not put that upon us. And I watch people carry baggage that, by the way, that God's like, I let that go a long time ago. Why haven't you? I forgave you. I set you free. Why are you carrying that? My son Ben is here. Very proud of him. Graduated. Ben killed me. I know they gave him a locker at his school. But Ben carried literally every piece of paper and every book in his bag, like every day. Like every piece of paper. Like reams and reams shoved into this bag. And I would pick up his bag. You know when you go pick up a bag? Like, I'm like, it's a backpack. It weighs like, oh, right, that moment. I'm like, Ben, there's a bag. Ah, oh, it's too hard to go to the locker. It's too hard to do this, right? So he's just, just shoving things into his bag. And I'm telling you, the weight of that, I'm like, this was from first semester. This is done. They gave you the grade, like, out. So at, ben, at Ben's graduation party, he brought out a bag that was in his backpack then he moved to a bag, and his friends went through his homework went, and started burning his homework on the fire. It was very therapeutic for many of them. But here's what's so funny about that moment. They'd be like, hey, Ben, you actually got an A on this one. And then they would throw that in the fire. Not so good on this one. They put that one in the fire. But in that moment, I just remember, like, that was all in his bag. And I feel like that's us, where God goes, why are you holding on to this? I let go of that 10 years ago. Why are you carrying this? Why is that putting so much stress and pain on you? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
Verse 18, where, this, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus, he's, he, it's done. He doesn't need to come back and die for that again. He doesn't need to come back. Do that. It was done. It's taken care of. He is moving on. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, by the way, um, have you ever seen uh, uh, backstage passes? You know, backstage passes, can't get in. Have you ever seen people who have backstage passes? What do they do? They're showing everybody they have a backstage pass, right? Because this is what they're saying. I belong here. That's what they're saying, right? This pass says that I can be back here. So, I mean, those who, by the way, are used to being backstage don't show anybody. But the first person is like, look, dude, I'm not, see, back, I'm able to be here. Yeah, yeah, we got it. We see the pass. You're good. Listen to me. I have a backstage pass to go and be in the presence of God. But it was paid for by Jesus. Okay? His blood gives me a backstage pass. Allows me to be in God's presence. Allows God to really, because again, but, but it's not because of me. It's because of him. It's because of him and what he did. Therefore, brothers, since we have come to the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Again, I have no access unless I come through the death of Jesus Christ. And since we have great, a great priest forever the, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with a true heart in a full assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's a different feeling when you know you belong. There just is. Um, there's a different feeling when you know that you have perfect rights to be someplace. I can't imagine. Uh, I, I, I always have been, been, over the years, impressed with the kids of our presidents. Because the fact is, is that one day they were living someplace. Uh, their parent made this decision to run for office. They won. Now they're in the White House. Does that make sense? Now for the first few days, you know, they're figuring the place out and all the stuff that has to go on. But after a while, can you imagine, think about this, how common the White House would be. Does that make sense? If you're a kid and you live there every day, after a while, you're just used to Secret Service. You're used to maids and cooks. And, do you understand? Like they would almost blend in. Does that make sense? It would just become normal. Can you imagine with the Obama girls? Remember the Obama girls? Can you imagine when they said, hey, come over to my house? <laughs> okay. Please understand, those girls had to be checked and scanned and wand and all that stuff, which would probably make them feel a little bit uncomfortable. Does that make sense? And I can imagine their friends kind of like, I don't want to touch anything. I don't want to knock over a vase or mess up a picture. Do you know that sense, that very, not that awkward feeling? But if you would watch those group of girls that were with um, Sasha, let's say Sasha was the one that brought her friends, they're like in this place of like, oh, I, what do I do here? And Sasha's doing what? She's just just going, right? Because this is now home. Does that make sense? Now take those places. They're both in the same place. One group of girls, they're both in the exact same place, but one has gone, yeah, it's an old building. Yeah, it's the White House, but this is where I live, right? And the other ones are going, this is the White House. You understand the concept? Watch this. Let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance with hearts sprinkled, clean, uh, clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, 
I want us to get to the point where in the presence of God, we go, yes, I'm comfortable being in the presence of God. We've been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been checked, and we need to be in his presence, and we need just to sit with him and talk with him and let him begin to move in our lives, never forgetting the power and the majesty of God. But at the same time, he, Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to be in his presence. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confessions of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Folks, I'm not there because of my merit. I'm not there because of anything. I'm there because he is faithful. Because he is faithful. And therefore, when he says to you, Jeff, I have forgiven your sins, listen to me, my sins are forgiven. When he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's going to prepare a place for me. When he says, I've given you mercy, he's given me mercy. He is faithful. He's the constant. I don't have to worry about him. It's what I do with that. Which, by the way, chapter 11, which we'll start on next week, is all about the hall of faith. All these people who buy their faith. And he's asking this writer to say, can we step into that place of faith? Because every one of those people who buy their faith is because they knew that God was faithful. Moses parts the Red Sea because God is faithful. Gideon takes on an army with 300 men because God is faithful. Noah builds an ark because God is faithful. And whatever he's asking for you, you can step into because God is faithful. And that's where we're standing on. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another on towards love and good works. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to be the person that says, go, do this. Listen, when Chantal got up here last week and said to you, if God is moving your heart to go into missions, that's her trying to stir you on because she wants you to experience what God has in his power. If one of our people comes and says, go to Mexico, we're trying to make you experience something, stir you into something that maybe you need. Come to one of our small groups. Come to one of our Cedars groups. Go to Rooted. Our hope is that we would stir you up into, uh, I'm sorry, stir up one another towards love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, we need each other. The church, as a mechanism, is many things. It can be great. It can be painful. It can be healthy. It can be unhealthy. That is the truth of church because men and women are a part of it and we're broken. Someone say amen to that. And when we're broken and we come together, our brokenness collides and it sometimes makes the church hard. But when our hope and our faith is in God and our trust is in him, it can be a place that shows us the vastness of God. Now, um, I'm not a big chocolate, a fan of chocolate. Who's our chocolate people out here? Oh, two-handed right there. Two hand, you people drive me nuts. Listen, um, I get it. Chocolate's fine. 
I was at a party the other night. There was a chocolate pie. There was a coconut cream pie. I don't like coconut. And there was Barry Praise Jesus. <laughs> That's pie. Okay? Everyone's like, oh, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Eh. Okay. Now, here's what's so funny. If you were the one up here, be like, who here doesn't like chocolate? And you can make fun of me. But listen, the diversity of each one of us, there's something as simple as chocolate. Whether alone, that's whatever we like in our hobbies or our, like, our taste in music or, or movies or whatever. The diversity of God brings in humankind is meant to show the diversity of our God. The diversity of our God. And so when a church is doing what it needs to be doing, what happens is, is that someone who's not that big of a fan of chocolate doesn't rule the world. But the fact is, is that I allow chocolate things to come on the campus because I love you. <laughs> I told Chantel, sure, make some chocolate muffins. I don't care. But the diversity of that means that we get to see the nature of God. And so when we get together as a church... Let me tell you something. I start seeing God by watching you. How God has moved in your life. How God has moved in your family. How God has raised you through situations which maybe I've never experienced, but by hearing your story, I see a different, listen, facet to the amazingness of God. And so when we get together and I'm struggling, and someone goes, I've been there, hang in there. Or I get to say to someone, hey, I've been there, hang in there. Or I get to remind them of the faithfulness of our God, then we accomplish more. We accomplish more. It's easy for us to isolate. And by the way, can I tell you, it is the easiest place to isolate ourselves is on Sunday morning at 9.30. You know you can slip in here, sit in a chair. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. And no one has to know anything. All they know is you got up and got dressed and got to church. Or you can start to connect to a church where when you, you, you find those people in church that you're not just going to walk up to and just go, I'm fine. You can walk up to them and go, I'm really struggling. I need you to pray with me. I have people in the church that will pull me aside and say, can you just pray for me in this moment? I need you to, I need help. And we need to be that for each other. By the way, one of the most powerful ways that happens is through Rooted. I love watching not just the groups that are in Rooted, but the weeks following after Rooted, where groups are pouring into each other and connecting with each other. Because they know they're not alone. We need to be together. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning to live, oh man. I realize I just turned the page. Okay, 26, 27, 28, 29 are going to go back and deal with an issue that we dealt at the beginning of chapter 6. It's about apostasy again. Apostasy, and I want to make sure that you understand this because all of a sudden people can read these and again miss the bigger point. Um, this is about those who, by the way, and I'll, I'm going to give you the language which will, which will show you what's happening. He's again dealing with those who are making a mockery of the blood of Christ. And again, this parallels what happened in chapter 6. But let's read it again. This, all of a sudden, we have this great thing. Well, let's stir each other up. And then you get to verse 26, and then it all goes, sorry. That was going to be too hard of a right turn. Here we go. Verse 26. For we, for we go on sinning deliberately. For we go on sinning what? What? 
Now, let me explain to you why that, that, why that um, word is hard for us. Uh, Jeff, um, I've done the same sin like more than twice. Maybe three times. Maybe a hundred. Anyone with me? And so our, our heart says, I, I, I feel like I'm doing that deliberately. No. You're doing that either out of habit or out of lack of self-control or giving into the flesh. The word deliberately here is not that I just continue to do the same sin over and over again. It really takes a mindset like, no, I'm going to choose to do this knowing what it does to my Lord. Does that make sense? This is a pre-conscious decision that I know that God doesn't want this. God isn't, and I'm still going to do this knowing, knowing that it is a sin, that it is wrong, that it is not what I should be doing. It is definitely a heart switch. That's different than I blew it again. You guys understand the concept of I blew it again? Or I gave into that sin or I gave into that temptation? That's not deliberately. I will tell you what, most, please, I don't think I have days I wake up going, today, man, I really hope, I really hope that I uh, commit adultery today. I really hope that I lust today. Man, I really hope I plan that I slander somebody today. The reality is with our sin is that we go through the day and because of lack of, again, sometimes being our closeness with God or our own flesh, those things occur. And then what happens is I feel conviction and I come to God and I give those to him. Does that make sense? Now listen to this. For we go on sinning deliberately, that is, a, that is not, I went through my life and this happened. This is a choice. Watch this. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay? So the idea is, is that two and three would come and say, hey, Jeff did this. And that means that I would break the law, which means I would be under the penalty of the law. So this writer's going back and go, look, even under the day of Moses, those who had witnesses. Watch what happens. Here it goes. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Those three phrases are not someone who, by the way, messed up in the day. Does that make sense? Those are strong phrases. Look at them again. Trampled underfoot. For me to trample something underfoot, I have to see it and decide to run over it. That's a choice. Profane the blood of the covenant. Again, a choice. And outrage the spirit. This is not us in our flesh making mistakes in which we come to God and say, God, please forgive us. This is someone who is making a choice to do these things. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved to the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know he, uh, for we, sorry, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, that's God saying that, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There are those that this writer is talking about who are making a mockery of the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, and what took place. They are trampling underfoot that which is happening. And this is what this writer is saying. You are going to have to deal with a living God. Now, I talked to you earlier about the whole White House thing. And again, we can't even compare God to our, I hate to say it, but our piddly presidency concept. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. God is so pure and holy. And by the way, it's so against sin that he would give his son to have to pay for that sin. So although by the blood given to me, sprinkled by Jesus, I can come into the presence of God, please never let me forget the power of which I come into. He is a living God, a holy God, a righteous God. And my sin costs. And so therefore I come in there hopefully with a heart of reverence and awe, but a knowledge that I am loved and a knowledge that I am cared for. But may I never forget that this is a God, listen, who spoke all of this into existence. Spoke it into existence. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard, uh, a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and, aff- and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. Those in this area were literally being, by the way, persecuted for their faith, or standing with those who are being persecuted for their faith. For you had compassion on them and on those in prison. These are not those who are just in prison because they did a crime. These are those who are in prison because they were followers of Jesus. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Take my stuff. Go ahead. Take my property because what I have is going to last. This is going to burn. It sounds very much like Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. You would, if you understand the power of what you get in Jesus, sell everything on this earth to get that treasure, which will last forever. That's the heart that is happening to these people. They're letting their land be taken. They're letting themselves be persecuted. And look, you can't do anything to me. God is in me. I have, I have literally, I have salvation waiting for me. That is what is taking place. And so again, to these Hebrew people, it's going, look, I love the fact that you've not only had things happen to you, but you stood alongside those having things done with them, supported them, went and supported them in prison. Because you know what you have is better. You know what you have is better. Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Okay. Why is this important? I'm going to tell you right now, over and over again in my life as your pastor, there are times when I've said to God, um... You're not being fair. Now, maybe I'm the only one that's ever had that conversation with God. 
But I looked at God and said, hey, um, by my rules, this isn't fair. There's got to be a better way than how you're handling the situation. Now, that's me and my stupidity. Because the fact is, he's always righteous, he's always faithful, and he's always good. But from my little perspective, my little pea brain, I'm going, but God, it'd be better if you did it this way. It'd be better if you allowed this to happen. It'd be better if you let me win. It's usually what I'm asking. I want to win. But I want you to understand that I need to have this, a confidence that even if, even if, take my stuff, put me in jail, for me doing the right thing, that he is good. And that what's happening, what's happening is not about this time on earth, but about the next. And if I can take my eyes off of now and just realize that whatever he's doing or allowing to be done to me is for his good, then I can rest in that. I can rest in that. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. God's got this. But when we see people coming and taking our stuff, we go, God, why are you letting this happen? Do you care? And God goes, absolutely, I care. But I care less about your stuff than I do about your soul. And I care less about your stuff if it means that that stuff will keep you from me. And by the way, you losing your stuff and how you handle it could be the greatest testimony. So therefore, I'll let your stuff go if it means that other people get to see you trust me more than your stuff. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. This is the long marathon, not the sprint. So that when, you have done, that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. May you receive what is promised. May you finish well. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming, and, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul finds no pleasure in him. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Now, by the way, again, all this is pointing to what we're going to look at this next coming week. It's about faith. When you read next week, the Hall of Faith, realize how many times those people who are faithful, it didn't work out well for them while they were on earth. But they were faithful. See, the thing is, is again, we've got to get away from the fact is, we've got to get away from this. I believe that God loves us when things are good. No, God loves us when we are being faithful. God loves us when we're being obedient. And we go, well, if things are going good, that means he must love us. No, that means we're just happier. We are faithful even when it's hard. We're faithful even when we don't feel like it. Verse 39. 
But we are not of the, those who shrink back and destroy, but of those who have faith and, pre- and preserve their soul, souls. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are those who stand. Stand. We don't shrink back. We don't pull back. Why? Because my God has my And this is what this writer's trying to get him to do. Look, to the Hebrew people, Jesus is greater. Jesus is the best high priest. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is bigger than the, than the angels. Jesus gives us a better covenant. And then he's saying this, stand, stand, stand. And know you're forgiven. And know you have life. Don't shrink back. This is not the time to pull back. This is the time to stand up knowing that you are fully supported by the God of the universe. And may we be that at our work, at our home, on our street, wherever God has us. May we stand and not shrink back because that's not what he's called us to do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would give us a heart to see what is happening in this chapter. That, Father, what you want from us is those that would understand that we've been washed clean. We don't have to carry that weight anymore. We've been set free. But you're asking us to be faithful. Not looking at our circumstances and letting them determine whether or not we're good. But, Father, looking to you, to you and to you alone. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are faithful, that you are the one who has made a way when there was no way, and you did it through your son, Jesus. So, Father, would you bless this day and our fathers as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.